Hi, this is Sandy Shore from SmoothJazz.com Global, and you're listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast with your host, Robert Miller. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream, and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream Podcast. I am Robert Miller, your host. You know, every guest of mine so far on this podcast has been somebody that had a dream and succeeded at their dream. And that's great, of course, because it's inspirational and motivational to hear from people like this. But at the same time, I started this podcast in order to help people that had not yet pursued and succeeded at their dream to figure out how they could do so. So I thought to myself that I needed to have somebody on the podcast as a guest to represent this much bigger group that have not yet pursued their dream or not yet succeeded at their dream. And I have a guest today who is representative of that group, a young lady named Alicia Kenworthy. Alicia's in her mid-30s, and she has done so many interesting things in her life. After college, she drove cross-country. She's had office jobs. She started a lingerie company. She's been a restaurant hostess, a cocktail waitress. She's been on a reality TV series. She's done stand-up comedy. She's planning a podcast. So she's got a lot of irons in the fire, And uh, she's working her way through all of these different paths in order to kind of figure out what her dream is and how to pursue it. And I thought it would be really good to hear from somebody like this. And you know that in each episode, I try and pick a song as my featured song that fits with my guest or with the subject matter. And in this episode, underneath this introduction, and you'll hear it at the end as well, is a song that I wrote called Ma Petite Fleur, My Little Flower. It's the only song I ever gave a French name to. Don't ask me why, it just fit at the time. And it's from Project Grand Slam's album, A Spring Dance from 2012. But I chose this song because it turns out that Alicia is a Francophile. She speaks fluent French. She has lived in France uh, several times. She's going to talk about all of this. And I just thought that the song fit perfectly. So here we go. Get ready. We're going to have a terrific discussion with her. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast, Alicia Kenworthy. Thank you so much, Robert. It's wonderful to be here. You know, you sent me an article that was really very interesting by a guy named Malcolm Gladwell. And for any of you that don't know who Malcolm Gladwell is, he's the guy that wrote the book Outliers. He also wrote The Tipping Point and several other bestsellers. But Outliers was really interesting because it told stories about all these people that became uh, expert at whatever it was that they did, provided that they spend 10,000 hours doing it. Okay, and I remember that that was his theory as to why the Beatles, for example, became the Beatles, because they spent 10,000 hours at least when they were in uh, Germany before they became famous. And there were so many others that were in that book. So anyway, he wrote an article in 2008 that Alicia sent to me about late bloomers. 
And uh, the theory of the article is that some people find their mojo when they're young, whether the, it's, an, uh, it's an artist or whatever it might be. And some people, it just doesn't happen at that time. And it happens for them, if it happens at all, later in life. And as I read the article, I said, I think the guy was writing about me, even though he didn't know it. But he could have been writing about Alicia or so many other people as well. Did you feel that way when you read the article? Yes, I, I felt so vindicated. I felt like somebody finally understood, you know, kind of the the, the quandary of late bloomers. I, I really loved how he dug into you know, the differences between people who have that early precocity and who sort of know exactly what they want to do versus people who need to live life a little bit more and, and search and experiment until they find what they really want to do. So when you were young, I asked my guests this question all the time, did you have a dream and what was it? <laughs> you know, when I was young, I had a few different dreams. I think like a lot of little girls, I wanted to be a veterinarian at some point. And then I remember in middle school, I picked up a, I think it was a, a 17 magazine and they listed different career options. And one of them was celebrity publicist. And I was a huge country music fan. I was a huge fan of Billy Ray Cyrus at the time. So for a couple of years, I decided that I was going to be a celebrity publicist for Billy Ray Cyrus, <laughs> but that never happened. Did you tell him that you were going to try to do that? I did not. I did not. I did try to reach out to him and get an interview with him at some point when I was working for a startup in San Francisco, but his celebrity publicist declined my interview. So we never got the chance to chat. All right. So when you graduated college, I know you told me that you drove cross country, you lived in San Francisco for a while, and then you did some of the things that I described earlier. So tell us about that portion of your life. Yeah, absolutely. So the weekend I graduated college, I actually went up to New York City and picked up a Ford Fiesta that I had won in a YouTube contest. And I remember my college roommate was so frustrated with me at the time because I had the the choice to either study for my finals or enter this YouTube contest. And he was like, Alicia, you're never going to win the car. You really need to study for your statistics final, right? And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm going to win this car. I spent all my time entering this YouTube contest, editing together this video about why I deserved a Ford Fiesta. And I won the car with uh, free gas and free insurance for six months. You got to be kidding. What exactly did you have to do to win the car? I just had to make a video explaining why I deserved this car. Basically, Ford was doing an online influencer campaign, right? So this is 2009. And this was right when social media was really becoming a thing. And traditional companies were realizing that maybe their advertising dollars would be better spent instead of these expensive TV ads or billboards or whatever. Maybe they could funnel that marketing budget into these online communities and people who had followings online. And so at the time, I actually had a pretty significant following on this niche social media website that I had interned at in San Francisco. It was called seismic.com. And it was kind of like an Instagram stories before its time. It, like it was video chat, like a video version of Twitter, asynchronous conversations. And so I had interned at that company. And, and as a result, I was a community manager and I got a pretty strong following on the site. So Ford, I think when they were looking at my application, you know, they evaluated ability to tell a story and then also online following. And so I was one of a hundred millennials who were chosen to receive these cars for free for six months. That's fantastic. How did you still have the car? 
No, I wish I had to. <laughs> I wish I did. No, I had to give it back after the six months were over. Oh, you had to um, give it back. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought they gave you the car. Oh. No, but it was free oh, for the six months, and they would send you on little adventures. So each month had a theme, right? So one month was uh, charity, and so you would choose a charity and and do a video about a certain charity, and, and you would integrate the car in some way, shape, or form in the video. But yeah, so that was a fun adventure, and so I took that car. And I, uh, I drove it cross country. I drove it three times cross country. Actually, I was working for my university also at the same time for my alma mater for Georgetown. And I was in sort of a junior development role for them. And so my role was to go and meet with alumni, Georgetown alumni, and learn about, you know, what they had been up to in their lives and, and their dreams and, and how they thought about the university and, and see who would make an eventual donor to the university. Right. And so Actually, what happened is Georgetown let me take my car across country and they let me interview alumni all across the country and they paid for the hotels. So I had Georgetown paying for my hotel stays and Ford was paying for my transportation. Wow. And I just traveled across the country. Free car, free hotels. Did you get somebody to pay for the food as well? Actually, a lot of the alumni were very gracious because they're like, here's this young woman out on the road. And, you know, then so often I would get treated to lunch and dinner, which was very kind of them. That was nice. You got a whole vacation out of this. Okay. So you're on the West Coast. And what happened after that? So I, my first job out of college, I was hired at the French Trade Commission in San Francisco. And so I worked there. I, I worked really with French startups who were looking to expand their business in the United States and mostly in Silicon Valley. So my role was to really help CEOs with their business presentations, with their American communication style, to redo some of their marketing in a sort of Silicon Valley style and introduce them to potential clients and partners. Okay. Now, I should have mentioned earlier that you've got this real fascination with France, right? You call yourself a Francophile. And that, by the way, was the reason that I used my Ma petite fleur. Am I pronouncing that correctly? I love it. By the Ma way? petite fleur. Okay. Très bien. Perfect. I'm lucky on that one. But that was the reason that I brought that song into the interview. How did you develop that interest in France? You know, I don't know exactly. I'm I'm really the only person in my family to speak French and to have such a fascination with France. When I was in the sixth grade, I remember um, we had to take both Spanish and French for 20 days each before we chose which language we were going to study. And I remember at the time thinking that I would take Spanish because, you know, this was Northern Virginia and there are a lot of, um, we had a lot of Hispanic students in the school and Spanish just seemed like a more practical language to learn. But for whatever reason, at the end of that 20 days, I didn't have as easy of a time with Spanish as I did with French. I just caught on to French very naturally. And I fell in love with the language. And um, so I started studying it. And just really, it was like this instant love affair with with the French language. And I, I went to French summer camps and um, ended up playing on the school. I was such a dork, but I was playing on the school uh, pétanque team, which is like the French version of bocce ball. Okay. And so, uh, you know, I had a, a, a coach there who, you know, would help me with my French on the weekends. And then I ended up, um, when I graduated high school, instead of going straight to college, I decided to take a gap year. And so I spent one year doing sort of a second senior year of high school. And I lived with a French host family in the Champagne region. And I went to the local high school. And um, that was really the year that I immersed myself completely because I was only American in this, in this small town. 
And then you wound up going back to France. We have to get to this at some point. We may as well get to it now. You were in a reality (laughs) show. You told me what it was. Find my first love. Okay. I never heard of that before, but that doesn't mean anything. I don't really watch reality shows, but tell us about that and how that interacted with going back to France. Oh my gosh, that was crazy. So I came across a casting call, you know, so I worked out in San Francisco for for four years and I moved home to Washington, DC. I was working as a cocktail waitress in this restaurant. And I, I came home one night, it was like two in the morning after a super late shift. And I was just perusing Craigslist is one of my guilty pleasures, just perusing the ads on Craigslist. And I came across this casting call for a reality TV show. Of course, they, they didn't call it a reality TV show. They they called it a, um, a docu-series. So they said they were doing this docu-series on long lost love. And they said, you know, if you have someone um, who's like the one that got away, some person in your past who you think could have been the one, but for whatever reason, you don't have a way of, of contacting them now, you know, we want to help you find that person and we will fly you anywhere in the world to reconnect with this person and see if there's something there. And so I emailed just, you know, the whole concept made me laugh, but I did have a guy from my gap year that where I'd studied in France and Champagne from that high school, um, who I had lost touch with. He had just kind of deleted his Facebook and deleted his social media accounts and and gone off the grid, as they say. And so I hadn't heard from him in a while. And so I sent an email to the producers and they they interviewed me and they ended up casting me in the pilot episode and flying me to France in search of this guy, his name was Ben. And um, I thought it was, you know, I, 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 I thought it was just gonna be a fun time and an adventure. I, there was no possibility for me in my mind that he would actually want a relationship because he, he was so French, he was so, um, you know, he just loved life. He loved women. He loved good wine. He loved cigars, just like a bon vivant, as we would say. And, you know, so I could never picture Ben as someone who would want to settle down and, and commit to an actual relationship. So I thought we would have a good laugh. I would, you know, have a croissant, fly back home. But um, what ended up happening is they reconnected us on the Pont des Arts in Paris, which is that romantic, what they call the love lock bridge, where all the Americans leave locks for people from all over the world, tourists leave locks as a testament to their love, to their relationships. Anyway, so they reconnected um, me and Ben on the Pont des Arts at sunset. And um, the first thing he said to me was, I knew it was you. And then he said, I'm never going to leave you again. And he invited me to come live with him in France and to, to give our love a shot. And so I moved to France to live with him. So you got another free trip, okay? <laughs> and, you got, and you got a guy in France out of this. Very good. I like the way you're working these angles, okay? But ultimately, it didn't work out, did it? No, ultimately, um, you know, we we had a really good time while we were together, but you know, it was just ultimately not meant to be. It was one of those things. Relationships don't work for whatever reason. We weren't compatible in various ways. Um, so I left after two years. We lived together for two years in the Champagne region in France. And um, we broke up right around my 30th birthday. And then I wasn't, I wasn't ready to leave France because I was still so in love with the country. And I had all my, you know, my French family there and my friends there. And I, I wasn't ready to go home. So I spent about a year going back and forth between DC and France. And um, I rented a little apartment in Montpellier for a few months where I hid out. And my plan was to try to write. Uh, to to try my hand at being a writer, uh, but I didn't get much work on my novel done because 
my, I discovered if you're going to write, you should go somewhere where no one wants to go visit. Because what happened is all my friends said, Alicia has her own apartment in Montpellier. I'm going to go visit her. So I was basically like a host for all my friends who wanted to come visit for a few months. All right. So up until then, now you're 30 years old and you've gone through all these different little adventures from San Francisco and the lingerie company, which I still remember, and the hostess thing. And then you go to France and a lot of freebies involved in this, which I like a lot. But you started to get more serious about your career after that. I mean, you started to do stand up, you told me, and you're planning a podcast. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, um, that was a really interesting time for me when I came home from France at 30 and I, I didn't know, um, I felt really lost. Honestly, I wanted to be more committed to my career and, and figure out what I was doing with my life, but I, I was confused as to what I should be doing. And, um, one of my friends suggested that I sign up for a stand-up comedy class just because I, I would tell my friends stories about my time in France and the reality TV and all these funny kind of failures. And I would be the person in the room who would make people laugh just from like sharing various stories about my life. So I had a friend who said, you know, you should really give stand-up comedy a shot. And so I, I signed up for a class and um, that's exactly what I did. I had someone after my first showcase tell me, you know, what's hilarious is you don't even really tell jokes. You just tell stories, but they're wildly funny. Um, and well, so okay. there's, felt, a, there's a lot of famous people that have done exactly that. They tell stories, not jokes. So yeah. nothing wrong with that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I, I fell in love with that and I did stand up locally in DC um, for a couple of years. And that led me to discover storytelling on stage storytelling, which is a format that I hadn't been familiar with before. I don't know if you're familiar with um, like the moth or some of those storytelling organizations, but I started st telling stories with the moth with story district here in DC. And I really um, found my groove with that. I, I discovered, I think I, I, I would consider myself a storyteller before I would have said I'm a writer and I do consider myself a writer, but I really found that I love that mix of, of taking something I've written and performing it and getting that immediate feedback and um, that having that connection with an audience. So I did that for a couple of years and I, I would say I've been pursuing some form of storytelling ever since. And, you know, whatever day jobs I've taken on have kind of been in service of my personal storytelling projects. Um, I worked as a professional matchmaker for a few months. I don't know if I <laughs> had told you about that. I missed that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, for, for six months, I worked as a professional matchmaker. It ended up not being the job for me because love can be very complicated. But, uh, but you know, it allowed me to help help people tell their stories, right. And dating and, and, um, create their dating profiles. And so I enjoyed that. And then, you know, something, the, the criminal justice reform in the podcast that really kind of fell into my lap because what happened was I, so I had a really good friend who I knew from my time working at the restaurant back in 2013. And he ended up um, being incarcerated at the county jail. And I had had no interaction with the criminal justice system at that point. I had no idea how criminal justice worked in America. I mean, I kind of knew hypothetically that you know, we needed to reform it and that it was messed up, but I didn't have um, firsthand experience with it. And so I started you know, supporting my friend and visiting him at the jail every Thursday throughout his incarceration. And while I was supporting him, I met a lot of other women 
who were dealing with the weight of this system, who were in relationships with incarcerated men. And I was really surprised by the grace and the eloquence and the fortitude and, and everything that these women had been through. And so I got the idea to do a podcast on what we call, quote unquote, prison wives and incarcerated love. So my podcast is going to be on, yeah, on these women who who stand by these men um, a little bit different from my situation. You know, Michael and I were fortunate to just have a very brief experience with incarceration, but some of these women have been in relationships with men for years or who are even serving time on death row and and who are convicted of some pretty heinous crimes. So there's a lot of interesting, um, there's a lot of interesting stories there and a lot that those stories can teach us about compassion and who is deserving of love and forgiveness and redemption and, um, you know, questions around all the, all the big life questions. So it's, you know, it's an interesting story that you're describing here, how you kind of went through different paths but you kind of came to the realization that for you, the whole storytelling thing was where it was at, whether it was your French experience or your stand-up experience and translating it into that. And then the podcast becomes an extension of that. It's really a, a, a more professional side of storytelling. Mm-hmm. So it looks like you finally, you may be a late bloomer, but you seem to be blooming here. You're, <laughs> you have found your, your métier. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. J'espère. I hope so. I, I, I really do feel like I have. And one thing I will say about criminal justice reform um, in particular, mixing that with the storytelling, I think it gave me more of a sense of purpose because, you know, for so long I was having all these crazy adventures and and really living life to the fullest and having a lot of fun and, and no regrets there. But in a way it could feel a little bit more um, insular or, or, self-centered. It was a lot of, you know, self-discovery. But when I, when I discovered, you know, criminal justice reform and, and all these stories that need to be told. And when I just, when I found something where I could help um, bring some stories to the world, that really resonated with me. It felt like a higher calling than just talking about my own life. So I'm interested whether your friends were in similar position to you, meaning that they took their time to kind of figure out where they should be in life and in their careers, or did they have a a firm fixed vision early on that they followed through on? What was the answer for you and your friends? You know, that's a really interesting question. I feel like I have a mix, but I would say I feel fortunate to know a lot of people who have had dreams and followed them and inspired me. And I think that's, you know, that's they maybe, maybe it's a slight sense of competition that keeps me going and, and picking myself back up. Even when I do stumble or fall or fail is, is, you know, maybe there's an element of like keeping up with the Joneses um, or just being inspired by the people around me. But no, I, I have some wonderful friends, especially from college. You know, I have one friend who always dreamt of, being a screenwriter. And um, now she's a screenwriter on the blacklist and is living her dream out in Hollywood. I have another friend who always wanted, similar to you, she always wanted to be a rock star. And she moved back to her home country of Costa Rica and and became a rock star in Costa Rica. So I've had examples of of friends following dreams all around me. You know, for me at least, and contemporaries of mine, when we graduated college, we were kind of expected 
to have a career mapped out for us. You know, you, you, you were expected to know what you wanted to do at that point. There wasn't the idea that you could float around for the next five years or something like that and just kind of figure it out. And of course, that's changed over time. I mean, do you think it was good for you to be able to experience all these different roads that you took? I think so. I think so. I would also say, you know, I'm of a generation, I graduated in 2009, right? So when I graduated, I was super lucky to get that car and then to find the job that I did find that was a good job. But it was a time where I didn't have a lot of options. I remember the career fair at my college, you know, Google and all the big companies showed up, but they basically said, we have a hiring freeze, but you know, this is what we do. Maybe come give us a call a couple of years down the line. So I feel like my path was kind of carved by the time when I graduated, but I'm grateful for it. I feel like I got the chance to really know myself better than I might have otherwise if I had just stuck to a, a more traditional path. Um, I've really found that one way that I've, I have gotten to know myself and understand myself better is just putting myself in a lot of crazy situations and, um, and learning from learning from the contrast, I guess. Well, it sounds to me like you've done a very good job of synthesizing all your experiences and uh, that you're now on a path that sounds like it's exactly the path that you were meant to be on. You you like to be a storyteller, and that seems to be where you're going. So I want to wish you uh, good luck with all of that. And I'm wondering, you know, I always ask my guests at the end of the episodes, and these are people that have always succeeded. And so I say, you know, looking back, what would be your advice to those dreamers out there that haven't yet pursued or succeeded at their dream? But I'm going to ask you the same question. What would you say is your advice to those people? Oh my gosh. I would say just don't stress. You know, I, I think that we can be so weighed down by worry when we feel that we're not succeeding in the way that we thought we would, or if we haven't hit certain milestones, you know, if you're not married by 30, if you haven't bought a house by 35, if you haven't gotten your master's degree by age 26, there are all these artificial milestones that we create for ourselves. And um, I think at the end of the day, if you can realize that everybody has their own timeline and there's, there's, no shame in being a late bloomer. It's okay to be a late bloomer and it's okay to just live in the moment and live in the present. And sometimes you will stumble into things. You know, they always say life is what happens while you were making other plans. Or what is that phrase? Life is what happened when you're making other plans. Um, yeah, you, sometimes you'll stumble into things that you never would have thought were right for you or might be a completely different path. So just keep an open mind and keep an open heart and um, and be present and enjoy life and Follow, follow whatever your passion is in the moment, and you'll get there. Words of wisdom from Alicia Kenworthy. Alicia, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And good luck with everything. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Alicia Kenworthy as my guest today. It looks like she has now found her purpose. She is a storyteller, and we're going to look to see what great things she does with that career going forward. Alicia, thank you so much for being on the show today. Now we're going to listen to the song that we started out with under the introduction. It's uh, my song called Ma Petite Fleur, and it's on our Spring Dance album. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next episode. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. 
Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com. Thank you.